This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. And welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with Republican gubernatorial candidate, Representative Patricia Morgan. Republican Representative Patricia Morgan is the Rhode Island House Minority Leader, and along with Cranston Mayor Alan Fung and Giovanni Feroci, a gubernatorial candidate in the GOP primary to be held on Wednesday, September 12th. Our conversation dug into Rep. Morgan's platform, including her blueprint for Rhode Island, which suggests creating additional state business parks akin to Quonset, as well as education, her political positions relative to President Donald Trump, her recent difficulties in scheduling a statewide debate that includes opponent Mayor Fung, and her reaction to criticism, including from her opponent Giovanni Feroci and her former House seat opponent, Nicholas Denise. Okay, right before we get to my conversation with Rep. Morgan, don't forget, wherever you stream content, you may find the Bartholomew Town Podcast, whether it's Spotify, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, doesn't matter. It'll get you to the highway to Bartholomew Town. And follow me on Twitter, at Bill Bartholomew. Same deal on Instagram, at Bill Bartholomew, for all kinds of adventures. We'll see you out there. All right. Without further ado, Rhode Island Republican gubernatorial candidate, House Minority Leader, Representative Patricia Morgan. All right, we are here at the Bartholomew Town Loft in Providence, Rhode Island, with gubernatorial candidate approaching the primary. What are we like less than three weeks away from We're it? We're three weeks away. Here it, it is. is. Wednesday, September 12th. It's uh, Patricia Morgan. Rep Morgan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming out. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Of course. And uh, why don't you give the listeners who may not be entirely familiar with your just story and how you've come to be in a position where you're running for governor of Rhode Island? I... I feel sometimes like I've been preparing to be a governor for my entire life. I'm actually from Ohio originally, which gives me a different perspective on Rhode Island than most folks because I've I've actually my husband was in the Navy, so we we went to quite a few states and I can view it kind of what's right and what's wrong with Rhode Island kind of from my perceptions in other places. I have been in the House of Representatives now for eight years. I've uh, I've had a front row seat to dysfunction. I keep saying that, but it's true. I've seen the insider deals. I've seen the misguided legislation, and I've seen a, an incredible indifference to the struggles of everyday working Rhode Islanders. And I object to it. And I object pretty loudly when they don't turn off my microphone. I've been studying what's wrong with government. I'm on the finance committee. I've been there for six years. So I've actually read all the budgets. I've, I've, uh, you know, I've done APRA requests, which is an access for public records on DOT and the airport corporation, the convention center authority. So I've actually really investigated deeply what's wrong with government. I have solutions this is the time to do it. I think Rhode Island needs real change. Um, as I look at uh, Alan Fung, who is my opponent in the primary, by the way, all I see from him is that he's going to manage us through the decline. We'll maybe not go quite so fast, but Rhode Island will still keep declining. And we have a wonderful state. It's a beautiful place. 
we could all be prosperous here, but we really need real change, and I'm that change agent. So you put out the blueprint for Rhode Island earlier this year, and one of the elements of that plan was to expand the concept of Quonset Point, you know, that's mm-hmm. essentially where there's a, a physical infrastructure, there's various types of tax incentives and programs, expansion of public transportation, just utilizing government to make a facility and essentially a workforce happen. You you suggested expanding that type of facility to do perhaps doing another three in the state. Is that kind of how you, is that the stimulus that you believe Rhode Island needs, the, the physical infrastructure to attract uh, manufacturers or whoever it may be to employ Rhode Islanders? Is that where it starts for you? Yeah. You know, when you talk to small businesses, any business, by the way, they say they need lower startup costs and they need a lower regulatory environment. Those are two things that they, there's more, but but let's just talk about how Quonset delivers those. Quonset is a state business park. Now, I've got to tell you, I believe in local control of land use. I think it's important for cities to be able to define what they look like, how the land is being used. But when they do that, they become so protective of their land that often companies can't find a place to expand. They can't find a place to put a new building to bring workers in. So, you know, working within those two dynamics, Quonset is a really successful model. And what they do is they pre-permit everything. So the red tape is gone. Uh, You know, a a company, an executive can show up, he can pick out a spot, and he can be up and running within months. Instead of sometimes it takes two years to get through a local zoning and planning process. Um, So that's that's really, really important to them. if we had one in the north, so a Quonset, a state business park in the north and in the East Bay, I think we could attract entrepreneurs from those areas, especially from Massachusetts. There are a lot of really uh, innovative companies being started in Massachusetts. They'd come to Rhode Island if we rolled out the welcome mat for them, if we said, come on down. In the south, I think we can take advantage of its closeness to the to the water, so marine industries, um, th- those kinds of things. We can have plentiful jobs here in Rhode Island, but we have to get government out of the way, and red tape is one of those, um, allowing lower startup costs. And you have to understand, when it takes a company years and lawyers and accountants and all kinds of studies to get through a local and local zoning board and planning process that just costs them money, costs them time, costs them effort. They can come to any one of these. Now it would be four state business parks. They can be up and running, cuts their costs, cuts the regulatory environment, and it gets jobs here to Rhode Islanders a lot faster. What's this rough startup cost to develop these plants, if you will, or these campuses? Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, the governor has spent $278 million giving out uh, Commerce Rhode Island tax credits, grants, all those programs to a handful of companies for a handful of jobs. Um, I, I would just take that 
that money, repurpose it to start buying this land and getting it up and running. Um, I couldn't tell you right now exactly what it will cost. I really don't think it'll cost $278 million. It's about finding the right spot first and purchasing it and then getting up and running. It'll be a multi-year, obviously, initiative. But uh, once we get it started, Quonset has created over 10,000 jobs at all levels. So entry level, middle level, executive level. These are not hotels and apartment buildings. That's what Governor Raimondo seems to want to have it here in Rhode Island. These, these are manufacturing jobs. These are, you know, commercial, commercial companies. Um, those give young people just a whole lot better, you know, better opportunities going forward. And kind of working backwards from there, you were a special education teacher for many years, so I'm sure that another element of your platform is going to be education. So we have situations where schools just down the street from where we're taping this podcast are crumbling all throughout the state. There's various sorts of issues. Where do you stand on how would you begin the process of repairing Rhode Island schools? So I do support the $250 million bond that's going to be on the ballot this, this November. That being said, that's $250 million against a $2 billion problem. Um, in other states, and I mentioned Ohio, so I... In Ohio, um, they actually adopted a law, and it's become permanent now, that uh, school repair and replacement is exempt from prevailing wage. Now, I don't know if your listeners uh, have much experience with prevailing wage, but it's a wage set by the unions, and it is the highest wage that we have in Rhode Island for construction work. It when you right now any government project is a, is subject to the prevailing wage, which means taxpayers pay the highest price for any government work because it's exempt from competition. So there are a lot of contractors out there who could do the work, but they can't because they're not union because they don't they can't pay the the prevailing wage. I'm not suggesting we get rid of it for every government project. Only for schools, school repair and replacement. But you have $250 million. Our research tells us that by exempting it to prevailing wage like they did in Ohio, we can save at least 20%. 20%. So that's 20% more work, 20% more schools that are being repaired. I think that's important. I mean, Imagine being a student and you go in and every time it rains, you see the buckets, the trash cans out in the hallway catching the water from the roof. Or you have to sit in, in the school with your, with your coat on because the furnace isn't working. Or any number. I mean, the toilets aren't flushing. These are things that, that regular construction workers, and by the way, the unions could bid on them too. A lot of folks don't understand that the unions have an A rate and a B rate. Well, they may have to use the B rate, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't work on the schools as well. But honestly, for the students, for the teachers, for the for the future of Rhode Island, remember, education's the bedrock of our economy. We have to show that we value it. Um, we need to get those schools fixed, and we can't take 10 years to do it. In an instance like that, would you... How would you propose the, the, the lower costs be – would that be passed off to like, the construction company or the contractors? Or would you actually – you know, the laborers themselves, would you expect them to work for a lower wage on a school project in the interest of 
common good. Which how how do you no, view that? No, I honestly, it's all about competition. So yeah. you put out an RFP, and the different companies bid on it. It might be that a you know a a, a, a non union or a non prevailing wage company um, could could do the same would do the same quality work. But because they have maybe a different kind of equipment, a different kind of approach, they don't have as many people doing it. Um, I think you've seen some construction projects. I know we all have where there seems to be five people standing around and only one people, one person is working. Well, you they might find efficiencies. Um, so I'm not suggesting anybody get paid less, but competition really makes people more efficient, more effective with our money. Are you, how overall do you see yourself on the, the so-called left-right spectrum? Uh, I've heard you say make Rhode Island great again a few times yesterday. Do you see yourself as sort of Rhode Island's ambassador to the Donald Trump movement, if you will? Or how do you stand in general against your in the other... political spectrum? In the political spectrum, yes. Listen, I'm a Republican. I am. I, I just believe in free markets. Mm-hmm. I think free market principles makes makes our country stronger. And if you look around the world, uh, other other countries that have adopted free markets, those people, their lives are are really lifted out of poverty. So I believe in free markets. I believe in limited government. Quite frankly, I think Rhode Island takes too much money from you. Uh, we're, we're, our budget's now $9.6 billion. That's enough. I mean, really, we're, I think we're the fourth or fifth highest tax burden in the country. Right. When you compare it to New Hampshire, which has half of that yeah. budget, you know, it's $9, insane. $9,600 per person. I mean, that's just crazy. It's just crazy amount of money. I think government needs to be limited because you spend your money better than government does. Quite frankly, when you have money in your pocket, you go out and spend it on the things that are important to you. Your drums, your music equipment, sure. your food, taking your wife out to, to, to a restaurant, buying a chair or something like that. When you spend your money, it primes the economy. When government spends it, we just waste an awful lot of it. So I believe in free markets. I believe in limited government. And I do believe in personal responsibility. Um, you know, you have to make the right decisions in your life and be responsible for the ones that you make. Where do you... Is there a point where you would say government or society? Let's get even more philosophical about it for, okay. for the sake of it. All righty. Where do how do we do we take care of someone who is born at a clear disadvantage to someone like you or I? You know, whether it's based on skin color or other backgrounds. Uh, and believe me, I understand we've had our own struggles as well. But compared to someone who right now may be really suffering where does the government how does that factor in is there is there a social safety net and how is that of course there is but but how large is it yeah and i think that's the dynamic isn't it of course bad things happen to good people we know that um there are people who you know who don't have the advantages that you and i do 
and and they deserve our help. They absolutely deserve our help. I mean, I have senior high-rises in my district. I am so supportive of them because just what I said, bad things happen to good people. These are folks who work their whole lives, and, you know, they get to the end of their lives, and they, they, they don't have the money to stay in their homes anymore, in their, their own houses. So I think it's it's important for government to have that that safety net. Um, I go down to the welfare office here in Providence every couple of months to check on, are, are you getting your food stamps? You know, this UHIP debacle has just caused such suffering out there. Th- those folks, they would rather have a job. They would rather be out there being productive. But for one reason or another, they can't. Um, so, yeah, there's a social social safety net, and, and it needs to be strong. But it, but it, for those people who are healthy able-bodied, working age, it needs to be a trampoline and not a hammock. They, right? I, one of the things I think that's so important to me in my life, and I'm sure to you, because you sound like you're always doing stuff, is being productive. I think being productive, getting out there working, it gives us a sense of, of worth in our lives. It It really, it adds value to society when we work, when we you know, do the, the the things that interest us that we can contribute to society. It makes society stronger for because we're contributing. I think not only do we get that paycheck, which makes it important to us, but it helps it helps keep society going. Um, I don't know. I'm not being very articulate with that, but I, I think I understand what you mean. Though it's it's the that's the point of life, in a sense, is to, to keep moving, right? You know, a butter, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly or whatever. The whole process is... Right. In, it's, and, it's, and that's what you're suggesting is yeah, that, you that know, moving forward. The, 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 the construction worker who builds the house, well, he's doing something productive for society. For himself and his family, yes, but also for society. He's getting a beautiful house for somebody to live in, somebody who repairs a sidewalk, somebody who gives music so that people can go out and enjoy themselves together. These are all contributions to society. It makes it better. Yes, you get paid for it, and that's important because that's your self-worth. It helps your family, keeps your family together. But it's also our contribution to society, and, and society is all of us working and being productive together. Let's just go through, if you don't mind, the your opponents. Uh, first, let's start with the GOP primary coming up. Um, Alan Fung, we've seen Al the debate chicken. Yeah. Um, your main concern with him right now is that he's not debating you. Is that is that fair to say? Listen, debates are job interviews. Mm-hmm. Fung doesn't want to. He doesn't want to show up for the interview. Why doesn't he want to show up for the interview? I mean, you've got to ask people. Do they want to trust somebody who won't? I mean, he has run a no comment campaign. He didn't. He didn't even answer questions of the press when he announced that he was running for governor. He has run away from them. He has kept off the radar screen. What does anybody really know about Alan Fung? Right? He doesn't want to have to answer questions about his record, and I think it's full of corruption, quite frankly. And things. I mean. I bet that your listeners don't know that Allen has grown his city budget more than the state has grown its budget. So he's he's a tax and spender. I mean, he, he has taken a lot from the residents of Cranston. They're the eighth highest tax city 
in Rhode Island. He pays 27% more for his fire services than Warwick, which is a city the same size does. He has more, he has recommended more people for disability pensions or double the number that, that he should be, he should be entitled to. I mean, it goes on and on and on. He, he really is a tax and spend guy. Do we really need another one of those up in the state house? Uh, again, I just we just talked about how big our budget is already. If Allen had been governor, it would be larger than it is now based upon his record. I think he doesn't want to answer those questions. He doesn't want to answer about Ticketgate. He doesn't want to answer about a lot of things. And he doesn't want to level with people about what his real record is or what his real opinions on anything and Giovanni Feroci, who you debated yesterday on a, a radio station here in Providence. I listened to that. Where, what's your pitch to voters now on where, what's, what's the core difference between the two of you besides what we may have heard yesterday in that debate? Based, which he, his main criticism is that he, is, he, he says he's far more experienced in he's terms amazing. of being, being prepared he, for being governor. <laughs> yeah, I think he thinks he's amazing. Um, but I, I, I honestly... He's he's got some issues. Um, I, I don't. I really don't take any joy in anybody having tough times in their lives. But when you look at, I mean, he he doesn't like the term "fired," but I guess he was forcefully severed. <laughs> whatever you want to know, want to say from his his job, he's lost his house. He lost his business. I mean, those are are areas of judgment. I'm not sure I want to put him in charge of a. Of the state based on that. Um, I don't know. I think he's, I honestly believe that at this point he's become a stalking horse. I think, I hope you all understand what that means. He was there attacking me to do Alan Fung's bidding. And that, that, I mean, he's, that means he's not really interested in running for governor. He's just, what, interested in showing up so he can get a job down the road. So you actually you, you believe that that's where it stands right now. It's a two-way race, and, and he's in there as a stalking horse. I do. That's your, your opinion. Um, I spoke with Nick Denise, who challenged you in 12 yep. and 14. He said that you, he had asked, or the, the Women's League of Rhode Island had tried to set up a debate with you at that point in time, and you weren't willing to commit at that point in time. Do you have a response to Nick on that particular issue? To my Recollection: There was never an an uh, what an invitation to debate. You got to remember, this was a house seat, right? This is not governor. This is not me running against the speaker like Steve Frias is. This is a house seat. It's just a sleepy little house seat. There was never, to my recollection, any invitation to debate. So I think he's making that up out of out of spite. You'd recently brought. Um was it three thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars or something I to did. Attorney General Kill Martin's office? Did you go to the Garden City deal? They the new walk-in center. No, I didn't go to the walk-in center. I actually went to his office down at one fifty South Main Street in Providence, and uh, this it goes to a transparency and accountability. And and I hope your listeners know that the entire time that I've been in politics, I have really fought corruption in government. Um, I have. T- I took Gordon Fox to the Ethics Commission. I took Ray Gallison to the ex- Ethics Commission. I took 
Speaker Murphy to the Ethics Commission, as well as probably a dozen other legislators. And while I've been in the State House, I have really gone after Governor Raimondo for transparency and accountability. Um, and in this case, it's it's attorney the Attorney General. Um, I'm not running against him, but this is about government. Um, this is about government making available to the citizens of Rhode Island the information they need to understand how government is spending their money. Um, and uh, the Attorney General has been sitting out with this this huge pot of money, and no one, no one has been watching over him. I recognized right after the Parkland shooting that there was money there and we could give it to our schools, right? It's part of school safety. It's part of public safety. I know North Providence used some of the money for for the same purpose. So I know that the federal government gave permission for it. We thought it was $23 million. And I said, let's divvy it up and give it to schools so kids can be safe. You know, security upgrades would put their minds at ease, their parents' minds at ease, and it'd keep them safer. Right. This is something that's practical that we can do right now to keep our children safe. I contacted him. He didn't want to he didn't want to tell me how much was left. He didn't want to give me the documents. I have battled him through the courts, be honest with you. But I can't afford an attorney. And he's you know, he's used his superior knowledge of the system to kind of thwart me and play games. So at this point, because the election is so close um, I, I, yeah, it hurt. I got to tell you, it hurt to give my own money, but I did because I think it's important. I just feel because he spent so much time fighting me that there must be something there that he doesn't want us to hear or see. And he has from now 29 days to get it to you. There you Is go. Right? He's down to 29 days. So we'll see. And that, of course, will probably come to you after the primary, you would assume, right? Just based on politics, but... Nonetheless, it'll be interesting to see what's revealed there. It'll be interesting to see. um, I'll have the documents. They'll belong to me. And I hope I'm governor at the time. But but we will will run it down and we'll hold him accountable. By the way, I need to tell you, here's some things I did find out. Mm -hmm. He rented a generator for $75,000 that he could have bought for ten. He bought three Chevy Impalas, no big deal, except he didn't buy them in Rhode Island. He went to a dealership north of Boston to buy them. Why? We don't have Chevrolets here in Rhode Island? I mean, seriously. Um, A lot of the money has been used to pay for utilities. I mean, he's paying his electric bill, his phone bill, his gas and water bill. That's crazy because the original settlement said you couldn't use it for operating costs, the Google money for operating costs. What rationale did he did he send to the Department of Justice to get them to sign off on utility bills? Um, and, and really, is, I mean, those are operating costs more important than our children's safety should be coming out of his budget. And then there's the big BCI b- building. Um, a whole big, huge building like that just to give background checks? we got to be kidding. There had to be another solution. I want to see the needs assessments there. Oh, and he bought Surface Pros for almost everybody in his office. You know how expensive those are, I'm sure. And with all those really high-end accessories, really? So and that that was paid for by the Google money, the Google money, which this Google money comes stems from Google being sued by several attorneys general um, over their 
allowing for searchable, non-FDA-approved pharmaceuticals. That's right. So that's where that yeah, that what's kind of from. illegal uh, f- f- prescription drugs. Yep. Last area. Well, two two questions. One: How will Joe Trillo factor into this race, if at all? I mean, we've had the yacht crashing. We've had the where he has positioned himself in many ways as a Trump. The Trump guy in Rhode Island now, he's kind of walked that back in his latest ads, trying to humanize himself, I suppose, in a way. Where does he factor in? Will he disrupt if you are the nominee for the GOP? Are you concerned that he's going to disrupt conservative voters' process in electing someone who actually has their ideals? He could be a spoiler. Uh, There's no doubt about it. But, you know, I'm aware that he's there. I have a strategy around it. Uh, We're already planning for it. I intend to prevail. So you're going into this, you're not concerned about the Roger Williams University WPRI polls or anything like that? that you know, let me them. just you're, tell you're ready you, to roll. yeah, those polls are about name recognition. And there's no doubt that my name recognition is lower than Alan Fung. He ran last time, right? Everybody knows him. They're not about whether he's... He's better than me. It's just about name recognition. A lot of times people will just say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard his name. Well, they're going to hear my name. Every person that says they'll vote for Alan, or most of them, will vote for me too. So seriously, there's that. Anybody but Gina vote, whoever comes through the primary is going to get the anybody but Gina vote. That's a large vote. I think the primary voters ought to be focusing on who do you really want to be governor? I have ideas. I have solutions. I've been studying state government. Alan, every time I've been with him, talks about Cranston. He falls back into the same talking points over and over and over again. And it's Cranston, Cranston, Cranston. He doesn't have any knowledge of state government. He hasn't looked at the agencies. He hasn't read the budget. He doesn't know where what we call the dead bodies are, but he doesn't... Honestly, it's... Cranston is small. I don't even think he's run Cranston that well. Seriously, yes, he had some very savvy developers in there who who have, have... you know, built up the Garden City Carpiato area. Group and yeah, so that guy is, is a brilliant developer. And he started doing that 10 years ago when Governor Carcieri was in office, the, the, that whole area. Great. But eighth highest tax rate in the state? Forty. His long-term debt is up 43%. He pays more for fire services than Warwick. I mean, I, I could just knock him off. That doesn't show to me the kind of leadership we need at the state house. He's a go-along-to-get-along guy. He's been caught in pay-to-play. We have more than enough corrupt politicians up there in the state house already. Um, I think we need... I'm hoping <laughs> that the voters will really pick the person that there will be a change agent, and that's me. Um, I, I will fight the good fights for the people of Rhode Island. I'll fight the important ones, and I will change Rhode Island. I'll make it better. What's been your impression? This is my last question. What's your, been your impression of the media? I've heard you extensively on talk radio on one particular station um, since – who knows when? Like last November, I feel like you've been a regular cast member in a way on on PRO. Um, but do you feel? How do you feel like the media is right now in Providence and Rhode Island as far as covering 
this election, covering this primary process. You mentioned you don't have the same name recognition as Alan Fung statewide anyway. What's what's it like for you? How have you been able to get your message out there through the channels that exist? You know, I think they've been fine. I mean, I know that I'm not, you know, the only game in town. And they. I think they've, I think for most, in most cases, been pretty fair. Um, I, I do object to the polls that uh, Channel 12 are having just because they act like, uh, by putting those out, I think they do sway the electorate. Uh, they, you know, they, they took Alan Fung's poll. I mean, he just said, oh, this is what my poll showed. And they didn't say, well, show us the poll. Show us, really, show us the numbers. Show us how you got there. They just kind of ate it up without any cynicism. And I think that that was, I think that's wrong, that's quite the, frankly. The Roger Williams University WPI his own poll, poll is actually, his, you're saying, is Alan Fung's poll that his, was fed? His own poll, seriously, I, I, I probably your your listeners don't understand what a push poll is, but a but a push poll is is um, it's not just a straight who will you vote for. They actually uh, lead lead the the call you know the person they call down a path. Did you know how wonderful Alan Fung is? Did you know how how awful Patricia Morgan is? And then they say, so who would you vote for? It's not it's it's a um, it's a deceitful poll. Um, and and the media knew about it and yet reported it like it was, you know, the gospel. Um, I can tell your listeners this. We've done a poll, too, and you're going to have to be skeptical with me, I guess, now because I've just said it. But but our numbers were seriously, I am I am within this close, this close, which is a tiny bit of winning this race. I want voters to focus on what our message is, what our solutions are what we bring to the table as far as honesty, trustworthiness, you know, Rhode Island is on the wrong path right now. We are. Look at the data. 70% of our college students leave Rhode Island for better opportunities. We're the third highest in the country. And they're followed by a ton, thousands of working age people and then our retirees. Because our cost of living is just crushing here. Over a third of our people are on well uh, on Medicaid. That means they're poor. That's not good for a state. We actually, despite Governor Raimondo talking about the unemployment rate being so low, we added a thousand more people to the Medicaid rolls in the last quarter. That's not those statistics are completely out of whack. Um, we really, we really need to get some common sense, practical solutions for Rhode Island so that we can be a prosperous state again. Um, I wasn't here when it was prosperous. It was a long time ago, but we used to be a powerhouse of prosperity and we honestly have the same good people. We do. We have the same great physical assets, the same beauty. We, we could be great again. And and I intend to get us there. Who who would you say is your is the the your, a, gov- a previous governor of Rhode Island that you hold as someone who was presided over that period of greatness? Jeez, you know, honestly, that was eighty years ago, so <laughs> so I wasn't there at the time. Um, you know, what's a model? I guess is what you're asking. I look at um, 
Charlie Baker next door. I mean, I think he's not an ideologue. He just tries to bring common common sense solutions to the table. He, you know, he. I think he just looks at the problem, tries to get the data, and makes a decision to fix whatever is broken. That's that's the kind of governor I'll be. I, I'm not. I'm not an extreme ideologue. I do believe in the things I believe in. But um, I think practical, common-sense solutions is what we need to get Rhode Island moving again. House Minority Leader, Representative Patricia Morgan, GOP gubernatorial candidate, coming up on September 12th. It's a Wednesday, which is wild. It is. Three weeks. Put it on your calendars. I need your vote. Um, Together, we can make Rhode Island great again. Introducing Bartholomew Town Radio, Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. on 990WBOB.com. It's a live radio show featuring commentary, analysis, guests, and more from all things Bartholomew Town related. With me, Bill Bartholomew. That's Bartholomew Town Radio, Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. on 990WBOB.com. We want to hear from you, and we'll read your text and take your calls on air. You can also send a postcard to Bartholomew Town, 669 Elmwood Avenue, Suite C5, Providence, Rhode Island, 02907. Until next time, we'll talk soon.